Hi, welcome to episode three of the BCP cast. So far, we've looked at the best ways to engage people in business continuity, and that has nothing to do with their day-to-day roles. We've also chatted about how we can make the BC industry more diverse and better represent the world we live in. I've been lucky to talk to some really interesting and experienced BC pros, so we thought it made sense to see what they consider to be some of the best examples of plan preparation and execution. Some of their stories include bouncing back from 9-11, the London Olympics, and something about the Clint Eastwood Classic. What does a good plan and good practice look like? Fortunately, everyone I spoke to at the BCI World Conference had some great insights. Cybersecurity expert Jessica Barker has seen lots of companies suffer an attack and manage to bounce back. It's really interesting to look at how different companies manage cyber attacks from a, an incident response but also from a communication perspective. So for some organizations, actually, if you manage the cyber attack well in terms of your communications, if you're transparent, if you provide the right level of detail, if you're honest when you don't know what has happened but you reassure people that you're investigating it, then actually this can help minimize your reputational damage. I really believe that the reputational damage companies get from a cyber attack isn't from the attack itself, it's from how they deal with it afterwards and how they communicate it to people. So TalkTalk is a classic example. There were lots of issues around the communication of that and so it ended up getting much more coverage than actually other attacks that were happening around the same time. I think there was a, a breach at Weatherspoons that potentially influenced or had an impact on more customers but they handled it in a much more uh, savvy way and it didn't hit the headlines anywhere near as much. So how you communicate with your customers is really fundamental. Communication is key to success in most things. A resilient business knows that to communicate effectively it must know what has, is and will happen during a crisis. That can reduce all the consequences of downtime and mitigate reputational damage if the crisis unfolds in front of customers, or worse, the press. And for that to happen, it needs a good plan. So what distinguishes a good BC plan from a bad one? Thomas Kroll has experience across different sectors as a BC consultant. He's seen his fair share of business continuity plans, and says they fall into three categories. I think there's three categories, actually, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We actually have, yeah, it's a good film. Firstly, we have to assume they exist because that's the other elephant in the room, the organisations that don't have a plan. So hopefully they have a plan. Uh, We'll come on to the good in a second, but the bad and the ugly. The bad is it doesn't work. It doesn't work because maybe it was cobbled together on various Google references or resources the night before the supplier said, can we have a look at your plan? Believe me, I've had those plans sent to me and you know that they weren't written by the organisation themselves. Now, I don't believe there's anything wrong with taking inspiration from uh, other organisations' plans if they're publicly available or if you're given privileged access to it. I mean, clearly do the appropriate referencing and uh, give credit where credit's due. But, you know, we, we live in a world where we can learn a lot from others you know let's sometimes others have made mistakes and learned from them so let's take that but when you're just doing a cut and paste or filling out a a template with actually thinking does this fit the way that my organization operates the way of doing things around here and will it fit culture 
then you're already setting yourself on the wrong path. So some of these plans that are bad, they also might look great on paper, but they have no real world foundation, no capability. So whether the organization may not have taken the time to think about what resources it needs. For example, we talked about how common business continuity response is going to be to respond to loss of your premises, loss of your workplace. You can have a plan that sounds great that says you're going to go from location A to location B, but is actually location B going to be available? Have you set up a contract with a provider that you know is going to provide those seats if you need them? So when I say seats, I mean actual desks where people can work. If you're looking at it from a commercial provider, have you explored the risks around that, the syndication ratios of how many other people might try to be calling upon those seats? If a big major event occurs, is that other organisation going to call first and those seats that you said you were going to use disappear? So whilst the plan looks good on paper, and there's an untenable amount of risk in place, um, which may mean you, they're not going to be available when you need them. So the whole, the whole plan is what built on sand instead of built on stone. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, as the old saying goes. Just because something looks good on paper doesn't mean it will work in the real world. It may not work at all. Without due diligence and testing and iterating, a plan that looks pretty on paper can have ugly consequences in the real world. Plans that are ugly. These might be plans that do the job, but they may take many hours to unpick how to do the job. They might be verbose, not ergonomic, from the perspective of, you know, are they easy to use by a person that is probably not an expert in business continuity, because that's who we're writing the plans for. We're not writing the plans for ourselves as practitioners. The plans should be constructed in a way they can be used by the actual frontline business that's trying to recover its products and services. Essentially, let me go a step further, it is actually their plan, it's not the practitioner's plan. The practitioner is there to support them in the creation of a document. And that should be an accessible, ergonomic, clear, concise. I learned very early on in my career, from making the mistakes, that all aspects of business continuity, specifically the BIA and the plan, should be as simple as possible. Importantly, though, no simpler. What is the sweet spot? So they're the ugly plans, the ones that are just not practically usable. As simple as possible and as complex as necessary. That's what balances a good BC plan. Unless you work in academia, you probably want what you read to be as short, sharp and clear as possible. If it looks like a plan's been written with a thesaurus, it's probably not going to be much use when someone picks it up in the middle of a crisis. The good plans are the ones that are practically usable, they're built on a strong foundation, and most importantly, the people that are charged with uh, activating and operating the plan, they actually first know they exist, they've been involved in writing it, they've been training how to use it, and the plan's been stress-tested, and the people to an extent have been stress-tested and their competency has been developed through exercise. We touched on this in episode 1, how important it is to involve everyone in BC planning. It's no good having a plan that's been handed down from the top that no one is engaged with. Thomas shows how you don't just need a good plan, 
you need people to execute it effectively. Jana Detoni, co-founder of BC consultant Panteray, has a similar view. She also talks about ugly plans, though maybe not how you'd expect. And the best business continuity plan is an ugly document. I keep saying that uh, you shouldn't have all the dead literature that other policies or manual have. The ideal business continuity plan is a checklist. And uh, the ideal business continuity plan is a document that tells you exactly who, what, when, where, and why. And basically, complexity in general, not just for business continuity plan, but complexity is the enemy of business continuity. Because, I mean, business continuity loses credibility if it's too complex, should be made easier. The quality of the business continuity specialists, like business continuity manager, is to make it easy, not to make it complex. And basically, what we see is in the industry, unfortunately, there are consultants who do not understand business continuity at all, but they go around claiming they are consultant, they are expert, and they build the most complex business continuity in companies just because they they make the company hostage. You know, you have to call me back next year because otherwise you're not able to do it by yourself. Those are the worst business continuity professionals. They are not professionals. They are just they improvise business continuity because a business continuity consultant needs to transmit their knowledge completely, make it very easy, and make sure that, that everybody can work on resilience uh, without any support. And they will call you back anyway because they know that you can help them facilitating sessions, observing tests, doing other analysis, etc. And that's how I see it. You know. Jana hates complexity. It helps no one. It's up to us as professionals to make sure our work translates across to the real world. After all, that's where the plan has to do the business. Jana gives an example of how a good plan and the right mindset can overcome even the most horrendous conditions. Well, the best business continuity plan I always mention is something that happens many years ago. It's uh, the Cantor Fitzgerald business continuity plan. And Cantor Fitzgerald is the company that had its offices in New York in the World Trade Center where the first plane hit the tower, the first tower, and they lost 758 people out of 1,000 roughly. So a tragedy like that would really have any company going bankruptcy. They didn't. They had a business continuity plan that uh, was providing that the London office would take over all the clients and and all the aspects. It wasn't easy. They worked for six months, uh, days and nights. And uh, it's a very interesting case because they, the people, the survivors recovered immediately. And uh, the 11th of September was Tuesday and they reopened in the market on Thursday. So it was exceptionally incredible case. But I've seen also many other good business continuity plans and the recovery that I've seen, the best recovery were done by people that were not focusing on business continuity plan only. It was a business continuity management system and the plan is the outcome at the end. Despite being struck by an event as tragic and destructive as 9-11, Cantor Fitzgerald was back in business just 48 hours later, which shows the power of a good plan in the hands of people who care. So what, aside from having a huge amount of fortitude and spirit, allowed the employees of Cantor Fitzgerald to execute their continuity plan so effectively? Kate Needham-Bennett helps to look after business continuity for MasterCard. 
things that a plan might have to have. Um, I would say that it needs to have, you need to have ease of access to it. So there's no point in it being stored away in a dusty corner somewhere. It has to be in a place where everyone knows where it is. It has to be um, available online, things like that. It has to be not so big that people carry it around like a weight. It can't be the size of War and Peace, so it has to be easy to use. And it has to be simple enough that anyone without business continuity experience can use it. Um, I think that's one thing that our industry could improve on, is yeah. making it easier for other people to understand. But most importantly of all, it has to have a clear strategy in it. If you don't have one strategy as a company, then where are you heading in your recovery? I think even once you've built out your plan, it's still not finished. You still have to do the planning part. So going into it, seeing where the flaws are, practicing it, and then actually completing the after-action review tasks. It's all very well having a good plan, but if no one practices it, if no one uses it, then what was the value in the first place? Again, there's that importance of a plan that works in the hands of the many rather than the few. Practice may not make perfect, but it does make improvement. We heard in episode 1 how the South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue Service would take entire departments on training days to practice and improve their resilience plans. Tonya York, a BC expert based in the US, agrees nobody should put the plan in the corner. I think what the real critical factor in success is practiced and well rehearsed. Right? Definitely simple is better, and I used to have uh, a colleague of mine who um, now uh, runs a program at VMware. Um, when she worked with me, she would edit a lot of our communication, uh, or communication that I wrote specifically. And if you've ever written anything, you know that saying it concisely and um, simply is much more difficult, right? And so the same is true for plan. So plans that are directive, um, assign responsibility, and that you can execute against um, as opposed to some documents end up reading like a story that this is what we're going to do and there's no assignment of responsibilities and it'd be very hard to execute those. A good BC plan involves Businesses change, personnel change, regulations change. A BC plan needs to be fit for purpose today. Russ Paramore is Emergency Planning Officer for South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue. He talks about the need for consistency. After all, there's a lot of fire services to look after. I am in the fortunate position that I actually chair the Chief Fire Officers Association Business Continuity Group. What that does, that allows me to collaborate with 50 fire services throughout the UK. We have meetings twice a year, which are always two-day meetings because there's so much to go on the agendas. But we have uh, WhatsApp groups, we have Facebook groups, we have all sorts of things that we use. Um, we talk to each other between times. And we have objectives that are set right from National Fire Chiefs Council. So, so we have objectives that we try and achieve as, as fire services. And they're not only about the resilience of our own fire services, they're also about getting the message out to a small and medium enterprise. So we, we're working with the public and we, we, as a matter of course, firefighters are out there on the streets talking to the public, going into businesses, community teams are going into premises, talking about fire safety and at the same time they will talk about business continuity. So among the 50 fire services, 
they are as you would expect every fire service is different it all has its own chiefs and its own management teams and everybody works slightly different uh, but what we try to do with business continuity is at least set a, a standard and expect everybody to try and work towards that standard and then individually what we've what we've got as one of our objectives this year and has only been in place for about four or five months is we're running our own mentor scheme for people that are pushed into business continuity posts in fire services because uh, what we find is that some people are just brought in as a business continuity manager others work in a risk department others work with insurance uh, others just work in emergency planning and and the people from all these different roles get the job of looking after business continuity. So what we're trying to do is standardise throughout all the people in the in all the fire services at least a minimum standard that the individuals themselves will try and achieve as well. And then after that, it was it was about sort of embedding that into the organisation. It's impossible to have identical plans that work across fifty different services spread across the entire country. So Russ talks about setting a universal standard that everyone can work towards. That allows each fire chief some wiggle room to implement a plan that best fits their department, while still meeting the criteria. By communicating regularly, both with the public and each other, the fire services know they stand the best chance of facing down a crisis, wherever it may strike. Thomas has seen firsthand the power of having a consistent plan across multiple sites, as he was involved in securing one of the biggest events to happen in recent times in the UK. I was very lucky to be available during the Olympics uh, in 2012, the London Olympics. And uh, during the time, the Greater London Authority, which is the mayor's office in London, they have a team called the LRT London Resilience Team. And they'd put many, many hours, uh, many months of pre-planning in place for the Olympics and how they were going to uh, ensure that London remained open. And as the Olympics does, when it overlays in any city, they, uh, many control rooms are set up, uh, some of them specific to the Olympic Park itself and some of them for the wider city and its infrastructure. So one of these control rooms was called the LOC, the London Operations Centre. And uh, I was one of multiple supervisors in the LOC, uh, responsible for a multi-agency team, all experts in their own right, so that was very interesting about Olympics, that it was really multi-agency. All the agencies having a representative come together uh, in readiness should a disruption hit the city. One thing that's really interesting, I think, about these major events is that they're, they're, they're a different beast. They're, you're creating almost a, or we could term a contingency plan, for a known period of heightened disruption or heightened risk. Organizations have these periods too. So a product launch is a known period of heightened risk or heightened demand. Black Friday, that's a known period of heightened risk and heightened demand for the entire global retail sector. So a business continuity plan, all of the tools and techniques within it are incredibly valid. But you might not just want to rely just on your plans that are there for BAU. You might put a contingency plan overlay on top and say, actually, during this period of heightened risk or heightened demand, we need to be in a heightened state of readiness. That's what London did during the Olympics, major event. They set up control rooms in readiness to monitor the situations, the situation of the city. 
and people are sitting there ready and waiting at the edge of our seat now we were very lucky in London that there was no major disruption and that the Olympics went off without a hitch which was amazing but should it have should something have happened London had put in place uh, all the right people and almost a machine of command and control hierarchy that would uh, crank into gear and start operating in absolute readiness so we're already on the front foot and that's what organizations sometimes need to do whether it's the olympics coming to town because that poses a heightened period of risk or stress on the business or whether it be black friday or many other examples like that a well-oiled machine was ready to spring into action in 2012 to most people it was invisible on a commercial aircraft every system is backed up by dozens of fail safes if or when your business enters a time of high risk is there additional cover when murphy's law strikes I think that if you go just by plan alone, it's almost the wrong question. It's, it's if you've done the training, if you've done the awareness, if you've got people to think for themselves, what if this happens? What if that happens? Um, if you've got them thinking that on a daily basis, if you have staff that feel comfortable using the plans, that they've had experience doing so in practice in their exercises, then you'll stand a lot better chance of getting through any crisis relatively unscathed. If you have the best plan in the world um, and it sits in a corner and no one really touches it, then it makes a very nice doorstop. But yeah, unless you've done the training, the exercising, the awareness, the rest of the BC life cycle really, then it's null and void. That was episode three of the BCP cast. Give us a tweet or recommend us. There'll be a new episode soon. Keep an ear out. Mm-hmm.